Well, we're looking at verses 9, 10, and 11. And the purpose of why the lowly are being exalted and the rich are humbled. If you're up on Facebook, I put a little summary. Who is doing the humbling and the exalting? And as with any truth in the Word of God, the enemy has corrupted the understanding of these verses. And so we may have to shed some preconceived ideas, but hopefully those are not ideas that have crept into your understanding. But let's dig in here in verse 9. James chapter 1, verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. Now in the previous verses he was talking about wisdom. Of course before that he was talking about tests and trials. And the tests and trials will, when they come upon us, they show us where lack is. Because until the test or trial comes and tests us, we don't always know where our lack is. And so once we know where our lack is, then he deals with, well, this is how you take care of lack. If that lack happens to be in the area of wisdom, then this is how you can do it. Ask for wisdom. Shows us how God will give it to us. So a lack can be revealed. It doesn't um, cause the lack. It reveals it. And then he gets in here and he says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Now, lowly brother here is from the Greek word tapenos, which is um, uh, depressed, humiliated in circumstances or disposition. It's base, cast down, humble, or of low degree. So lowly is a, is a good translation of this. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. In the other, in the next verse, he says rich. The word lowly here does not necessarily mean poor. So it's not an actual contrast there. It's not saying let the poor glory in his exaltation. It is lowly. And there are words that they could use if he wanted to say poor. But he's saying let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So lowly here, he's cast down, he's humbled, he's humiliated, he's uh, maybe depressed, whatever it is, his conditions not optimal. We're, we're suboptimal at this time. We're called lowly. It is a, a a condition of low degree. It is brought to be brought low with grief or depressed. Lowly in spirit. Humble is also another way that they render this. In a bad sense, it's deporting oneself abjectly, deferring severally to others. So we always, you know, other people are always better than me. Other people are always uh, have more than me, and it's it's okay that I take second second seat here because I'm always in the back of the room or whatever it might be. We have that. There's a few other places in Scripture where this is used. I'm not going to read them all here to you, but I have four of them. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. It says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." This is speaking of him, gentle and lowly in heart. Matthew chapter 11:29. In Luke 1.52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. In Romans 12.16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. So here another verse, still nothing about finances or being poor. Do not be wise in your own opinion. James chapter 4, verse 6, this is of course James, same author. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now there it seems to be a very opposite. And so this word lowly in this setting would seem to have more of an opposite of one who's proud. But here in the other situation, 
he puts on the other side one who is rich. So it's not necessarily comparing the situations. We're not saying one is rich, one is poor, but we're saying one who is who is humble is being exalted. What we're looking at here in these set of verses is a change of situation. That one person who was in one state was elevated to another, and another person who was in a rich state was uh, lowered to a to a lower state. It's really what he's looking at here. The word here for glory, it means to glory whether with reason or without. So whether there be a reason for the glory or not, you just you just glory. We glorify God not because there's a reason, and sometimes we glorify God because there is a reason. But something happened in our life, and we give glory to God because of the thing that happened, and sometimes we just give glory to God because we don't need a reason. He's just worthy of glory. So that's what that's looking at right there. Whether with reason or without, to glory on account of a thing or to glory in a thing. So you may be glorying about something or just in a situation giving glory. So it's pretty all-encompassing. That's uh, pretty much what this is is about. It's used in a, uh, a number of different places in Scripture. 38 times altogether you're going to see this verse, this word used. 23 of those times it's translated glory in the King James Bible. It's t- translated boast eight times, rejoice four, make boast twice, and joy one. So primarily this word is translated in such a way as to be glory. The um, part here where he says exaltation, this word exaltation talks about height of measurement or a place such as heaven, exalted into heaven. Metaphorically, it is talked about rank or a high station. So it's not just elevation to a higher place like heaven. It can also be used as in elevation, sometimes in some of the verses where they're talking about measuring and the height of a measure. It's using this particular word to talk about the height of the measurement. So exaltation. Let's read that again here. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So he was in a low state and he was brought to a higher state. He was exalted. And it says, let him glory in his exaltation. But the rich in his humiliation. Now the rich here is meaning wealthy, abounding in material resources, abounding, abundantly supplied. Abundantly supplied. This uh, seems to mostly have to do with money. That you have resources, you have money, you have uh, been well supplied, and whatever it is that you need, you've got lots of it. So it may use this word, it talk about uh, richly, that, that they were uh, rich spiritually, but it's still talking about an abundance. It's talking about a, a, a supply. So those who were rich, or those who were well supplied, but but the rich in his humiliation... So as the lowly brother is to glory in his exaltation, the rich is to glory in his humiliation or his being taken down. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. So no matter what, what we get out of this verse, we have to understand, I can never take so much, uh, take myself so seriously as to think that in the, in the scheme of things, I'm going to matter that much. Don't don't get just don't don't think yourself so highly. Understand that as soon as you're gone, someone else is being plugged right into what you were doing. (laughs) 
I mean, if Elijah could be replaced. Wow. Uh, Moses was replaced. I would think that'd be a pretty tough one. Right there. Abraham, he was replaced. He went on. These are some uh, pretty big names. If they were replaced and the world kept going on, it's going to keep on going on even though there were not. The word here, humiliation, tapenos, I'm sorry, tapenosis, means lowness, lowest state. Metaphorically, it's, it's spiritual abasement leading one to perceive and lament his moral or littleness and guilt. So it's, you're going from a well-supplied place to a place of low, low estate, lowness. So again, it's a change of condition. Regardless of you went from low to better or from rich to lesser, these conditions don't measure you, but how you respond to them does. Verse 11, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So he says, No sooner the sun has risen up and with a burning heat it withers the grass. Well, if it wasn't for the sun, there wouldn't have been grass to begin with. If it wasn't for the sun, there wouldn't have been flowers. But he brings this sun in and that the sun is going to come in with some heat and the grass is going to wither. We certainly have seen this. We know that in the springtime, there's a lot of grass cutting to do. I mean, you may go all winter long, of course, not cutting your grass, not cutting your grass, not cutting your grass. Then sometime in April, it seems like, the grass needs to be cut. And you go out there and cut it, and not more than five or six days later, it needs to be cut again. How did it go all these months, and it didn't need to be cut? Now, all of a sudden, it's on a twice-a-week basis. Our backyard is like that. Our backyard gets more sun than the rest of the, the place does. And I almost have to cut that one more often than the front, because it'll just cake up on the top. Because it just is so thick, and the grass just grows so fast. And I don't like cutting the backyard. That's my least favorite one to cut. <laughs> but you have to do it. You have to get out there and cut it. Nobody uses our backyard anymore. It's just, uh, it's just land. You know, the, we don't usually have any, any kids that go over there and play on it, so it just kind of sits there. And once in a while the grandkids come over and do something out in the back, but other than that, we don't do a whole lot out there on the, on the backyard, so we're just cutting it to cut the grass. And that sun beats down on it, and it just grows and grows and grows, because it's getting water and it's getting sun. But then all of a sudden it hits a spot in the summer, where the, the sun is beating down, not as much rain is falling. And then you can go from your twice a week cutting the grass to maybe once a week. And if you're not getting a whole lot of rain, that uh, even drops down even more. And then you get back into the fall, and now all of a sudden the grass look, is, is happy again. But what it's talking about is that sun kicked those flowers off. It kicked the grass off. But then after a while, they're going to hit a stage where they're not flourishing to the same degree. And that same sun that brought them along is going to bring them to the end of their cycle. And they're going to turn brown. And they're not going to look so so good anymore. Different uh, places have different types of grass that go this way. Uh, we, we up in this northeast area, we have what are called um, uh, cool season grasses. If you go down to Florida, they don't uh, do well with cool season grasses. They have to use other types of grasses. I think you can get some of the nicer grasses to grow in Florida if you'll spend a whole lot of time on it, but you really got to work at it. A lot of times they go after these, these grasses and I, I don't like them. I think just the grass itself will keep me from moving to Florida. They got that St. Augustine grass and they got some other real wide blade grass. And, um, 
they're just they're not as pleasant as the cool season progresses the um, the fescues and the uh, uh, perennial ryegrasses and, and things like that and of course Kentucky blue that's always a, a, a favorite one but, uh, but some of those other ones they're they're really really nice and they just have a nice good green look to them except when it gets really hot and this is why they don't grow them down in Florida because it's really hot all the time and and they wouldn't do so well and so we don't uh, we don't grab grab after those in all the the different places each area has different types of grasses that will flourish in the type of climate that they have but eventually that sun can beat on those grasses and it says here it causes it causes the grass to wither it causes the flower to fall and its beautiful appearance perishes well we look at this and we say where does the where does the humbling come from because a lot of times people will take this verse these verses of scripture and talk about how God will take the lowly and exalt them and how God will take the rich or those that are amply supplied and humble them and we like to use these particular these verses to talk about God doing that to different ones it says here so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits the word there for pursuits uh, is a porea a, a journey or a going a purpose pursuit undertaking or here's a real familiar one for you career it is that what you do along your journey so the rich man will also will fade away in his pursuits the things that he pursued while he was journeying here on the earth when he fades away those things fade away as well in Luke chapter 13 verse 22 he went on his way through towns and villages speaking of Jesus teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem he was on his way he's making that this is more of a literal thing he is literally going to Jerusalem but when you use this in a figurative way it's talking about how you are on a journey in your life and the things that you accomplish along that way so what we gain or what we become along the way will eventually fall or fade away don't become too attached to it there are some examples of this that you'll see. And I just wrote in there a blank line. You can put whatever these examples that you want to, to be able to do. Jesus rose to what appeared to be great success. When Jesus was here on the earth and he was teaching, he had great success. He had people that would flock to the meetings, but died almost completely alone on the cross. Paul planted many churches. He had great success in receiving revelation from the Father. In the teaching that he did, people talked about the great teaching that he had done. We don't have all the sermons that he'd done, but we have uh, people that wrote about him. We have the writings that he wrote, and we still ponder the things that Paul wrote. And uh, just a number of other things that, that had gone on. But he died as a prisoner, and many people along the way forsook him. John the Baptist faded away and was beheaded. And he said, that's what has to happen. He was very popular amongst the people. People were coming out to the meetings that he had. And then Jesus came on the scene. And more people were following after Jesus and left after him. And John's disciples got kind of upset. And they, they said, what about this? And he said, well, he must increase. I must decrease." And so he was going along that way. And when he, he finally had uh, been put in prison and he was beheaded, there wasn't really a whole lot of people that were following after him or looking for him. So he was very, very popular for a while. And then he went away. What about the 12 disciples? 
12 disciples had gone out. They all had different areas of ministry that they did. And if you follow their, their lines outside of the Bible in history, you'll see each one of them died for the gospel. But they had success in different things. Stephen, he had success as he became a deacon. He began to, to move off into other things and had success there. And then all of a sudden, he was unpopular and he had to go away. <laughs> and so they rose up men to testify against them and they took him out and they stoned him. So we have to understand that as we are going along in our walk, in our Christian walk, the things that we do ministerial-wise, the things we do for the kingdom, can have ebbs and flows. And we may hit a point where we are very popular. And then also may hit a point where that popularity drops down. And maybe people don't uh, uh, come to us like they had before. And maybe things aren't going on the, the way that they were before. And the devil will try and use that against us. But don't fret. It happened with Jesus. It happened with Paul. It happened with Peter. It happened with, uh, with other disciples. It happened with Stephen. I mean, look at the list of people that had gone on. Moses, at some times, people thought, oh man, this guy is so great. And then other times, they're ready to kill him. And Paul, not even just looking at the, the length of his ministry, but in one place that he went, they're ready to make him a god and to sacrifice to him. And before the week is out, they're ready to kill him. This is the way things go. And so, reading that verse again. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Even when we come from a place of being well supplied and there is much that's going on for good in the kingdom of God, we may hit a spot where it's not so good. Don't, don't let that fret. Don't let that uh, change it. There's other people that did this as well. Let's take a look at all these verses here together. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it flowers, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Now, neither the exaltation or the humiliation is God's. Understand this. Let me read this part here to you again. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Neither the exaltation or the humiliation is God's, but the saints. It is the saint's exaltation. It is the saint's humiliation. It uses the word his. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Now, what brings about this change in the condition? How does one go from lowly to being rich, or from being lowly to being exalted? How does one go from being rich or well-supplied to being humi- humbled, humiliated. How does that happen? Most times people come to this, they're looking at God as the source, that God is the one who has changed the condition. But if we look at the context, and I think I wrote this down for you in there, the, top, the context is this, the topic before this, these verses of Scripture is trials. 
the topic after these verses of Scripture is trials. So trials comes before and trials comes after. So the thing that likely changed the condition of the saint is the trials, not the God. (laughs) But God is getting blamed for exalting the humble and for humiliating the rich. And that's the viewpoint that a lot of people have of God. God is against those that are well supplied. God is against those that are rich and he brings them down. And he takes those that are lowly and he brings them up. But it's not God. It's it's not God that does this. The um, What brings about this change in condition of the lowly and the rich? It's not God and it's not the saint. The saint is not bringing themselves down. I mean, what person, if, if they're being rich, says, you know what? I just need to get rid of some of this stuff. They don't usually do that. And what person who's lowly says, you know what? I'm tired of being lowly. I think I'm just going to become exalted. (laughs) You can't do that either. So the exaltation, the humiliation is not God and is not the saint. It's the test and the trials. The test and the trials come as a purpose from the enemy to break you. But God says, don't look at it that way. Count it all joy when you encounter various tests or trials. Knowing that it will produce patience. It's going to produce something good in you. But when they come upon you, it can change your condition. It can change your condition to go from from being high to being low or from being low to being high. And we may not like that change of condition. But when we go and we blame the thing on God, that changes how I look at the change of condition. Because now I see, well, if it's God, well, then he must have some purpose in it. And so we'll just go ahead and, ex- and exist in that. And we come out with this idea, and this, this idea per, uh, it, it just permeates Christianity all around, that God is against the rich and the exalted, and he is for the humble. If that is the case, if God is for, if, if it is God who wants to exalt those that are low, when Jesus was here on the earth, looking at the, the first one, the, the rich point, there was, a, there was a particular woman who came in and was giving offerings and Jesus sat in the back and watched them. And he noticed all the people coming and bringing the, the big offerings. But he took note of one. He said, there's this one widow woman. She came in and put in two mites, which is hardly anything at all. But it's all that she had. And Jesus was marveling at her. Why didn't he go right there and change her condition from one of low esteem to, to being exalted? Why didn't he just do that? When the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus and she said to, uh, told him the story of what had happened and she, of course, touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. He said, great is your faith. He marveled at her at her great faith. Well, it says in the story when she was recounting what had gone on that she spent all that she had on physicians and was no better. She spent all that she had. So she went from a high state to a low state trying to take care of this this sickness or disease. Well, she's in the presence of Jesus. 
Why doesn't Jesus do something to, to change that? But he doesn't. Now looking in the word of God, how many people were on the, the rich side? Abraham didn't start out super rich, but he was rich. And then he became super rich through the blessings that God gave. The same held true for all his sons. What about Joseph? Joseph went from a place of having nothing to the place where he had abundance of riches over there in Egypt. He was second in charge. He was not a poor man over there in Egypt. He was doing very, very well. Nothing wrong with the with the amount of, of money he had. We had we had um, David. David went from having nothing to being extremely rich and just stacking up gold. Silver wasn't even counted as a valuable commodity in his day because it just they just had so much silver. And he just had so much gold, he's just socking it away for building the temple. Solomon. Oh, the riches that he had in his kingdom. God said when he took the throne, asked him what he could do for him. He said, give me wisdom. He said, I'll give you all the things you didn't ask for. And so as rich as he was, inheriting all that stuff that David gave him, he got even richer. And God seemed to be okay with that. Well, if God is, is into taking the rich and making them humble... Why did he do that with David and Solomon? Now Solomon eventually lost some of those riches towards the end, but that was because he didn't follow after God and didn't do the things that God said. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. God used him. Great stories behind the, uh, about him and not, not something we're going to get into here on this. Most of the disciples came from money. So much so that when Jesus taught about the rich, it's, it's, a uh, difficult, difficult thing for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They became greatly amazed because most of those had money. You know, some of them had their own business. And uh, but they, they were not of poor means for, as far as we can tell. They had some money. And Jesus didn't set about to say, let's get rid of all that money that you got. He didn't tell Peter, James, and John to sell their business because apparently when they got done, they said, let's go back fishing. That business was still there. So your condition can change by factors apart from from God. Oh, there it is. Okay. I was wondering where my other part was. So I have these things for you to, you can fill in as you, as you wish here. But your condition can change by factors apart from God wanting to take stuff from you. That'd be the first one. God doesn't have to want to take stuff from me for my condition to be changed. And if I lose stuff, don't think it's because God's taken it. My condition can change by other factors apart from God wanting to take stuff from me or from you. Your condition can change by factors apart from God needing to humble you. A lot of times we look at this verse and we say that God took them and humbled them. Except that the Word of God says we're commanded to do that ourselves. I'm commanded to humble myself. Not God. In First uh, Peter five verses six through seven, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you may, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Exodus ten and verse three. So Moses and Aaron came in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. He's supposed to humble himself. Proverbs six verse three. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. You have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. James 
chapter 4, verse 10. We are at verse 6. A few verses down, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Well, if the enemy knows that God says you're supposed to humble yourself, then one of the things he wants to get you to believe is that God will humble you for you. So there's nothing that you need to do. Your condition can be changed by factors apart from God wanting to take stuff from you, needing to humble you. Third, or otherwise, test you. God is not out to try and change your condition. He's trying to show you how you can do it. And so he shows people how they can go from a low state to a a highly esteemed state. And he taught his disciples how to do it. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, here's how you do it. He didn't say in there that God God will do this for you. He said, this is how you do it. Become the servant of all. And there's a number of other places that he taught on how you can become exalted in the kingdom. And all of it ended up with us having to do some things. So if you're the devil, you got to get people from focusing on that. And so one of the things you do is you pervert scripture. And so we pervert this scripture. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. And immediately people think that God will take me and he will exalt me and I'll glory in God doing that for me. And it sounds good. It sounds right, except that it's not scriptural. But the rich in his humiliation. Well, God needs to humble the rich. And so he'll just take uh, some conditions just like he did with Job. Job was a rich man. God took all the stuff away from him. Humbled him. (laughs) And that's a wrong understanding of the book of Job. But you see, when you have false doctrine, you're going to have a wrong understanding of all things. And it's just going to spread into other areas. And it's real hard to talk with people who have false doctrine in them because their understanding of some of the basic things of scriptures is wrong. It's tainted. And even if you try and take them over there, yeah, but that's not what happened. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You can show them all sorts of stuff. And that's why you just pack up and go. You don't have to convince them. Just present it to them. You don't want to learn? That's all right. Well, go on. Find somebody else who does. Other people are going to be out there. They're going to want to. So trials that they're going through are bringing these things out. These trials didn't come from God. These trials come from the places where they're at. They're in the sinful world. And we went over way back in the first lesson. We looked at the various trials that they were going through. That there were things that they were going through being in a a non-Jewish community. There was going to be a lot more sin going on. There was going to be a lot more things in the streets that they hadn't seen before. There was going to be temples that worshipped uh, gods that they didn't uh, know that people worshipped in this way. All this stuff is going to go on. We talked about the work situations. A number of different situations that came along for them. And it was putting pressure on them. That pressure was exposing some lack in them. When you have lack, it it, it shows the need. And... Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it is tough to overcome something when you feel like I don't have what is needed to, to do it. And so he says, if you come into a place and you don't need things, remember the verse before that. The idea was that you would be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. But then he goes right into it. If you are lacking, ask the Father. He will supply it for you. So the purpose, the, the goal here is get you in a place where you are not lacking anything. And the tests and trials will help you get there even though their purpose is to take you down. But along the way, these tests and trials are going to expose some lack. 
When that happens, ask God and God will give to you. If you need wisdom to understand how to handle your things, ask God. He'll help you with that. Understand these tests and trials are going to change your condition. You may have been in a low state and maybe you came into a place which you were, that you were higher than before. They were, you were exalted. Maybe you went from a, a rich state and you got hum, uh, humbled. Whatever it might be, he's basically just saying your state changed. He wasn't comparing rich to poor. He wasn't comparing one condition to another. He says whatever condition you were in, it may have gotten better. It may have gotten worse. But you can glory in it getting better the same way you can glory in it getting worse. Because a lot of times we just want to glory in things getting better. I'll give God glory because my situation went from here to here. This is better. Glory be to God. He says, all right, it's really easy to glory when you went from a low state to a higher state, but you can give the glory in the exact same way when you go from a high state to a low state. That's what he's trying to get across to them. And these tests and trials that they're going through are bringing about some of these. Now, don't credit God for what the devil does. We've said that a number of times before. It's something that I've learned in the past. And I'll keep saying it for a long time because people still credit God for things the devil is doing. (laughs) Don't be doing that. If God did it, he ought to get credit for it. If God didn't do it, then he probably didn't want it done. He wasn't going to be behind it. Don't give God credit for those things. In the Jesus day, we know that they were trying to give the devil credit for the things God did. Well, he cast out devils by the by Beelzebub, by the Lord of the devils. That's how he's doing it. They're giving credit to Satan for what God did. Now, we can see that that's bad, but we don't always see that the opposite has come about as well. That people are giving God credit for what the devil did. Well, I know they died young, but God just had a purpose in it. See, they're giving credit to God for what the devil did. And don't be doing that. If I don't know that God did it, I'm not giving God credit for it. We have to be real careful about that. Because people, they go over and they think it sounds real spiritual. It's not. I was listening to Brother uh, Brother Keith Moore. He was talking about uh, one of those stories about Brother Hagin. And uh, how the minister came in and said, Don't worry. It'll all be over in a few days. <laughs> I mean, he was going to be dead in a few days. It'll all be over. <laughs> and he was talking about it in such a way that God was behind this and God was for this and, and um, oh, the things that, that people do. So he put this in your outline for you. Don't credit God for what the devil does. To do so is to show God and the devil that you do not understand his nature. People are all the time showing the enemy, they do not understand the nature of God. And that ignorance can cause you a problem. We are oftentimes looking at things and how they go around and we want to, people have this idea, well, God is in control. Yeah, I hate that one too. <laughs> God says six things I hate, seven things. <laughs> I think that's in my list. When they start doing stuff like that, God is in control. It says, oh, people, why are you doing that? But you see, we, we, we let people know, we let the enemy know, I do not know the nature of God. 
Because people are trying to see the good in people and things that are happening, and yet the Word of God says, I'm not in that. Now, if God is not in it, then God is not in it. You better not be talking about it like He is. If I show the devil to the devil that I really don't understand the nature of God, he knows I am a prime target. Because I don't understand his nature. And that's the second one. This would mark you as an easy target for deception. Well, if you don't really know the nature of God, we can pretty much throw anything at you. And you'll think it's God. And if you think it's God, you won't fight it. And if you don't fight it, we can just keep putting more of it on you. we got to understand the nature of God. If I understand the nature of God, I could say, alright, my God is not in that. Because that's not the kind of thing that He does. But you see, because people don't know the nature of God, when people come along, they take these three verses and they teach them that God sometimes takes these people and humbles them. Even though the Word of God says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. But if the devil can sell you on this, you won't humble yourself. Now, doesn't this seem to be another way to say, count it all joy? Isn't that about what he's doing? Count it all joy? No matter what change of condition you have, if you went from a place of abundance to a place of lack, if you went from a place of being lowly to a place of being highly esteemed, just under, no matter what, count it all joy. I mean, that's really just another way of saying this. He's saying glory in your exaltation, glory in your humiliation. Just give glory. Just give glory. No matter what happens, just give glory. The enemy's trying to say, yeah, but you lost stuff. Glory to God. <laughs> He's just going around, just, just being happy. Not giving glory to God for the thing being changed. Just giving glory to God. Remember, we defined that word glory for you. It didn't matter. You can give glory for the thing. You can give glory in the thing. You can give glory for no reason at all. Just to give glory. That's what that word was meaning. There. So here's the reasons for the corruption. We've already delved into some of these. If God is behind this, then I don't have to humble myself. It's up to God. Now, if God told me to do something, and I have swallowed false doctrine to believe that it's up to God to humble me, then I'm not humbling me. God's not humbling me. Who's be... How am I going to get humble? I'm not. I'm not actively working on this. And so this is how people fall into this, this place of being very prideful, very arrogant, because they have swallowed into false doctrine. Well, if God, if I need to be humbled, God will do it. Here's another reason for corruption. Teach that God is against the rich and in favor of the poor. And this thinking has come out. God is God is against the rich. He's in favor of the poor. Except that God showed a lot of favor to rich people. And he also looked at some people that were poor and didn't talk to them very well. Remember that woman who came out of Samaria? He didn't talk to her all that all that well. She wasn't all that well off. But then you also have some people that uh, didn't have a whole lot of stuff. That widow woman that ministered to Elijah and her son. The food came. Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. He said Elijah wasn't sent to any of the widow women 
in Israel. <laughs> he went to somebody outside and talked about her and her faith. Here's the third reason. We have a wrong view of ourselves to think we are more important than we are. This is why these verses of Scripture and these, these thought that is here, this is why the devil wants to corrupt it because I get a wrong view of myself. I think I'm more important than I am. Those Pharisees that were around Jesus' day, they thought of themselves as way more important than they were. The high priest in Jesus' day thought himself to be way more important than he was. Go back in the Old Testament. Saul thought himself to be way more important than he was. There's a lot of people in the Bible who you can hear from their words think of themselves as way more important. Remember that prophecy that was given? It said this day tomorrow, Elisha made the prophecy that food that is super expensive will be cheap. And the man stood up and he said, if the windows of heaven were open, could this thing be? And he said, well, you'll hear about it, but you won't see it. And sure enough, that's how it happened. See, he thought himself to be way more important than he was. I've see, I see something here, and I need to let everybody know about what it is that I see. There's a whole lot of people in the body of Christ and certainly outside the body of Christ who think of themselves way more important than they ought to. Now, God's not against you thinking of yourself as having some importance. That's not it at all. He says in the Word of God, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So you keep yourself level-headed on the, on the thing. Understand. All right, well, I realize I have some good to bring in here, but it's not that much good. It's not, it's not so much that I'm irreplaceable. It's not so much that no one else is doing this. Elijah got to that point. I'm the only one. And they seek to take my life. He thought himself way more important. Now, he's important. He was important in the plan of God. And God had plans for him for things to come. He was important in the plan of God. God didn't tell him not to think of himself as important in the plan of God. But he thought of himself way more important. So much so that there's, there's no one else. And we, when we were going through the prophets, we looked at a number of other prophets in his day that were doing bold things. Micaiah being one of them. That was during those, those days. He was, he was apparently coming up and, and speaking some things. And he spoke some tough things to Ahab, just as Elijah had done. He was not the only one. And God even set him straight on that. He says, you think you're the only one? I got 7,000 just like you. And I'll go out there and grab any one of them and put on your place. <laughs> we are not more important. I have an importance in the kingdom of God. Don't let the devil tell you that you have no, no importance, no role. But just don't think more highly than you ought to. But just these three simple verses. The enemy likes to corrupt just like he likes to corrupt other ones and get people to think other things. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation because it is God who has brought him high. I'm reading this as people read it, not as it is. But the rich in his humiliation because God saw that he needed to be brought down and brought him down. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance 
perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And they'll, t they'll corrupt that to be the point that you have absolutely no importance at all and you are dirt on this earth. And you are not. You are special and God created you special and God has a plan and a purpose. But pride will take you out of that plan and that purpose. And it will elevate you to go into an area that you should not go. Don't let that happen. Keep yourself in view, in the same view that God has for you. Understand, if your ch condition changes, whatever it might be, if you went from low to high, if you went from rich to not as rich, to, to humiliated somehow or humbled in, in some way, don't see God as being behind it. Don't see those things as having been a problem. Just sit there and glory to God. And if you have a hard time giving glory to God when your condition changes because of the tests and trials that come up, have come upon you, then you've exposed another problem that you can deal with. Now deal with that problem, get on with it, and get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Count it all joy when you encounter various tests and trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, and the patience have its perfect work, that you be complete, lacking nothing. And then he goes on and talks about wisdom, if any man lacks wisdom. Because as you're in those situations, you're going to be lacking some things. You're going to find out that uh, I don't quite have what I need to get this done. If I lack something, ask of God. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And God will give liberally. Because God wants to give. God desires to give. And then he comes over to here. He talks about how your condition can change. Because they went out from Jerusalem. They went out from where they were at this church. And maybe some of them were in a low state. And where they went to, they got exalted. Maybe they were in a rich state, but they became poor. Whatever the condition was, it really makes no difference. He's not trying to just compare conditions. Just like he said, various trials. All kinds of trials can come upon you. We're not focusing on what the trials were. We're focusing on the end result. We're not focusing on what the change of condition was. We're focusing on the fact that the condition changed. No matter what the condition that you're in changed, you glory to God. Don't give glory to God for it because God didn't do it. It was the test and trials that did it. But give glory to God in the thing. And just understand, keep a right view of yourself and what you're doing. That if you left out of here tomorrow, God would have somebody else to plug in for accomplishing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. But he'd rather use you. I heard, heard it talked about before. I think it was Brother Keith again. It was, I mentioned that um, God came to him for, for something. He said, would you uh, give into this situation that was over here? And he both said, certainly. And so he went over there and he gave it. He said, God, was I the first person that you asked? He says, no. I don't know what made him ask that. But was I the first person? I think he, if I remember the story right, I think he said he was the seventh. There were six people who said no. And so his goal at that point was he wanted to be God's go-to guy. That if he needed something done, I can go to I can go to Keith Moore. Keith Moore will get it done. Because sometimes, apparently, he went to one person. His his first his first choice on the list went there, and they said no. He went to the second choice. They apparently said no. And you get offended, maybe if you were if you were Keith, you might get offended and say, "Well, how come I wasn't the first one?" <laughs> he didn't get offended. He just went on. He says, "Well, glory to God, I was in the list." I'll just work to get, in the, get myself up to the top end of that list there. That's all we got to 
be doing. Don't be don't be thinking of yourself more important than you ought to. <laughs> it could be that the and I don't remember what it was, but I, I'm pretty sure that when he came and he asked him that, it was a stretch for him to do it. And it probably wasn't as much of a stretch for the person who was first, second, or third on the list. But for him, it was a stretch. But he got it done, and, and uh, I don't think he ever released the details or told him what the details of that were. But uh, blessings came back on him for that thing. But just as you can, can see, how many people say that they've, they've seen these verses before and have heard, not that you believed it, but you've heard the corruption that has come out of this. The enemy loves to corrupt scriptures. And that's why we have to keep studying the scriptures and go and look at this compared to other scriptures. Because it sounds great, God humbles you. It sounds wonderful. It sounds, it's, oh yeah, I'll be so open for God doing that. Except God said you're supposed to do it. And I know that from the Word of God, if God tells me I'm supposed to do something, He doesn't take it back and do it Himself. There's God's jobs, there's my jobs. And if it's God's job, He does it. And if it's my job, I do it. And He doesn't come in and step into my territory, and I can't go over and step onto His territory. I've got my things to do, He's got His things to do. And as uh, Brother Hagin used to always say, I did, He did, <laughs> and it did. <laughs> and that's how we... Um, that's how we get things. When I do the things I'm supposed to do, God does the things He's supposed to do, and the condition becomes what it's supposed to do and where it's supposed to go. Glory to God. Father, I thank You that we can fully understand Your Word and not come out with some corrupted teaching that the enemy loves for us to have. He wants us to believe wrong things about Your Word because if He knows if He can change our belief into a wrong one, that it will not bring forth the fruit that it's supposed to and our faith in it will become challenged but you're here to open up and to give us light and as we rightly divide the word of God comparing your word to what you have said in other places in scripture we can have an understanding of what you say and not come out with some perverted teaching that believes that our God kills people because he wants them in heaven that our God humbles people takes them from a rich place takes away the stuff they have because that's not good for them takes people that are lowly state and exalts them that's not what we see in the picture in the word of God you do exalt and you do do bring down the people who've gone up into pride because they have put themselves in a place where God can't bless them but Father we are to humble ourselves and that is something that you will not do. Pharaoh decided to exalt himself through pride. And pride is something that you will come against. But the humble, you look for, you look for ways that you can bless them. We want to put ourselves in a position to receive the blessings that you have to bestow on us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give you a few uh, blanks in there that I miss any of them. Not God or the saint. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I read over those. I skipped right over them. That was my fault. He does not exalt the lowly because they are lowly. 
He does not take the lowly and exalt them and make them high simply because they are lowly. He wouldn't have exalted the widow for he, he, he didn't exalt the widow with the two mites or the woman with the issue of blood. He does not exalt the lowly because they are lowly. That's not the reason for it. He's looking for reasons to exalt them but just because they're in a lowly state doesn't mean that's, that's one of them. And I did not go over that that clearly so that's why you missed it. I know I talked about those two examples but I didn't say it that part. Uh, nor does he humble the rich because they are rich. Again, I gave you the examples, but I just didn't read that off. I'm not sure why I didn't do that. But nor does he humble the rich because they are rich. Examples were Abraham, Joseph, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, even most of the disciples. These are the examples of that. But he doesn't humble the rich because they are rich. He will bring down the prideful, but he will not humble the saint. That is for the saint to do. Thank you for that. I, I, I was looking at that as I was looking for what you were trying to... I said, wait a minute, I don't think I read over those ones right there. <laughs> yeah, I gave you the examples. Okay. Right. Since he resists the proud, so yep. I was just wondering because people have, you know, kind of twisted that up. But I was like, no, because proud and rich are not the same thing. Whenever the word gets corrupted, mm -hmm. people are not looking to. They're not looking at the breadth of the word of God. Right. They just want the corruption of that one particular area, mm -hmm. and they they focus in on that. And so you try and bring light in that one area, you can't get there, because no, I'm focused in. He does this to the rich. Well, what about this one over here? doesn't matter. He does this to the rich. And you, you can't even get them through with that. And that's where they have the wrong heart. You can't teach them. They're going to come down, but God has nothing to do with it. understand when a person first moves into pride, God ministers to them to pull them out. Mm -hmm. Just as he, he did it with Pharaoh. If he's going to do it with Pharaoh, he's going to do it with the saint. He tried to pull Pharaoh out of that. And after Pharaoh refused to come out of it, then he put all his, he said, fine, I'll take all my stops off. You get as hard as you want. And that's when his uh, destruction came. Anything else I missed or any other comments? Exaltation. Oh, they just came back in there. Yeah. The um, the the best case I can think of off the top of my head is when Paul and had the shipwreck, and he came to the island of of Mylita, and they all went out and they got firewood, and as they got firewood, the viper latched itself onto Paul. 
And for most of us, that would be a test of trial. He just shook it off and, and went on. And the people around him immediately assumed he is an evil person and the fate is making sure that he will die. And then he didn't die. And now they were going to bring him into a place of exaltation and they wanted to worship him. They wanted to exalt him and, and take him into a higher state. The test of trial that came upon him because of the way that he came through it, people looked at him and wanted to exalt him. Now that was a bad state of exaltation. I'm sure that there's some good states of exaltation. The main thing is that the test of trial brought, around, brought about a change. Whether your test of trial brought around a change that was better or a change that was worse will make no difference at all. You give glory to God no matter what. We have to understand the nature of God. I know what things come from God and I know what things don't. Paul knew the things these people were trying to do does not come from God. And he didn't receive it. So let me know if she she says that helps her with that's a good question though. I probably should have uh I thought of it as I was going through this, but I, I didn't write down much to to get into in that, but that's what I would there's some other uh, similar situations like that that um, that you can look at. Okay, good. Now, if you look at some of the tests and trials that Elijah went through with the people, uh, that exalted him in the eyes of the people, and he could he could care less about it. Yeah. Whenever, whenever we think of now, okay. Whenever we think of trials, we think bad. Yeah, that's true. So a trial doesn't have to be bad. A trial yeah, a could be yeah. something good that you know. All of a sudden, see the well. That's a bad example, but all of a sudden you have all this money uh-huh. that you didn't have before. The that's kind of a good trial, you know what I mean? It's not bad, yeah. but it could then change. It changes your condition, uh-huh. and you get so in tuned or so in love with this money, now you're on a bad road. Mm-hmm. So here comes this trial of having all this money. What's your reaction? Yeah. So Along the same line of thinking, when the enemy came to tempt Jesus mm-hmm. and he was going to he tempted him with an exalted position mm-hmm. worship me and I will give you all this um, no that's not from God and he didn't, he didn't come after he didn't pursue it but he could have uh, he was temp- certainly tempted with an exalted position taken from a lower state to a higher state but he knew the end result would not be <laughs> would not be good yeah good thought I like that Anything else from our internet folks? All right. Well, very good. Thanks all for coming on out.